Jen Winty. And I'm Andrew Winterville. And you're listening to Interacting Weekly, the regular podcast which pours all of the week's topical scientific news into a tall, cool glass of sketch comedy you don't need to worry about spilling down your top. Wiping down the bar, washing the dishes and putting the little pink umbrellas in your drink today will be Tom Winty, Gillard Amit and Nigel Fullerton. And together we will be bringing you science-themed sketch comedy in a production of such strangeness, charm, truth and beauty that's rarely seen outside a high-energy particle collider. But this is a particularly exciting episode for us at Interacting Weekly, isn't that right, Tom? Yes, that's absolutely right, Andrew, because this week we've been carrying out some real, honest-to-goodness science right here, live in the studio. Please, I just want to go to sleep. What was that? Oh, uh, nothing. Was that Nigel? Might have been. Please, I'm really tired. I just want some sleep. Is this the experiment we've been carrying out? If you just let me finish, Jen. Uh, yes, it, it is. How's it been going? You knew about this. It was my idea. Anyone? Will someone please tell me what's going on? All right, all right. Tell her. I told you she was going to be angry. A study carried out at Albion College in Michigan has indicated that people can solve problems more effectively if they're sleepy. Right. And a study at the University of Illinois shows that drunk students were better at solving certain word problems than their sober classmates. I don't like where this is going. It's very dark in here. So we thought we'd test these results out for ourselves to see if maximal creativity really does lie in the intersection of this drunk and sleepy Venn diagram. Is that why you've locked Nigel in the back room? We had to keep the environment as controlled as possible. Absolutely. I still think taping him to the wall might have been a little excessive. That's called rigour, Gilad. That's what good scientists do. But he's got lines to read. He's part of the cast. We need him for the recording. Don't worry. I'll read in for him. I've been practising my Nigel impression. <clears throat> you see, it's pretty good. Even if I do say so myself. Oh, all right. Is there a point to any of this? Well, you know how I've been having difficulty over the past few weeks finding a strong way to end the show? Really? Hadn't noticed. (laughs) Well, Andrew figured that if we could just find the right balance between Nigel's blood alcohol level and his sleep deprivation, he'd be in the perfect frame of mind to work out the ending for me. Uh, Us. So has it worked? It's really dark. I don't think he's ready. Not just yet, anyway, but it's worth keeping a regular check on his abilities just in case. Now, let's see. Here's one of the questions they used in the Albion College report. Nigel! Let's see if he gets the right answer this time. If Marsha and Marjorie were born on the same day, of the same month, of the same year, to the same mother and father, yet they are not twins, how is that possible? Until Nigel finds his way to his mental sweet spot, however... I don't know. I don't know. Let's get on to the week's top story. A laboratory in the Netherlands has this week announced that it may be well on its way to producing the world's first burger grown from stem cells. While the sample produced so far measures barely 3 centimetres by 1.5 centimetres, the hope is that a full-sized burger can be grown in the lab by October. Can I have cheese with that? All right, boss. Cheddar or blue? Cheddar, please. And if you could please make sure mine is rare, that'd be great. Oh, sir, don't you worry. This is the rarest meat on earth. And how common is that joke? You can say what you like about a joke, mate, but I feel the delivery was done to a turn. Given that this artificial meat has been grown in a Petri dish, I suppose that a burger is the only shape the researchers can produce. And not necessarily. They could always grow test tube sausages. Well, all right, but not all specialist glassware is that dual purpose. They could probably grow a miniature doner kebab in an upside-down conical flask. 
Dr. Mark Post at the University of Maastricht has said that such in vitro techniques can produce a material that looks and feels like and hopefully tastes like meat. Let's keep our fingers crossed that the hope blossoms into certainty come October. In order to help convince the public as to the quality of the meat, Dr. Post hopes that celebrity chef Heston Blumenthal will agree to cook a stem cell meal for one as yet unnamed celebrity diner. At £220,000 a portion, though, the worry is whether or not Heston's Michelin-starred restaurant, The Fat Duck, will agree to serve a dish that is priced so cheaply. This brave mystery diner might well even be a vegetarian, remarkably enough, as a spokesman for the organisation PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, has said that they have no objection to the consumption of meat produced in this way without the cruelty, carbon footprint and waste of resources. Good to know that £220,000 spent on a burger isn't considered to be wasteful. Everything produced in a laboratory, however, has been receiving quite such universal praise. Variants of the H5N1 bird flu virus have now been created which could be transmissible from human to human, a feature which the naturally occurring disease did not yet seem to have developed. Experts on influenza met at the World Health Organization headquarters in Geneva this week to decide what to do about such research. Up until now, there has been a temporary moratorium on all such research, preventing scientists from publishing information which was deemed to be dangerous if it fell into the wrong hands. The meeting concluded by saying that the moratorium should be extended, further setting back the time when the research itself will be able to undergo human-to-human transmission. You can understand their concerns. The last thing they want is for information like this to go viral. (sighs) Although the security concerns are understandable, one has to wonder who exactly it is that governments are afraid of. Excuse me, Prime Minister, it's time for your ten o'clock. Thank you, Margaret. I'm sorry to disturb you, Prime Minister, but I thought you should know we've been forced to raise the current threat level from substantial to severe. What's the situation? Well, sir, it's a fledgling organisation we suspect very strongly of foul play. There's a lot of leads coming in, but nothing concrete, and you know me, sir, I always feel that a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. I'm afraid they're really flying under the radar, sir. It's very hard to pin them down. Do we know anything about their next plan of attack? Nothing concrete, sir, and if they know we're onto them, they may chicken out, or alternatively, they may just decide to wing it. I just hope they don't fly into any more buildings. You know, such a mess. Oh my god, they've made it inside. I can see that, Prime Minister. What do we do? Duck and cover? I think you've made them angry. From one clever bird now to another. As reports published this week have shone light onto the final experiments involving Alex, a remarkably intelligent grey parrot who as of 2007 is sadly deceased. This is an ex-parrot! Quite. Stories of Alex's feat of intellectual prowess continue to amaze, however, as the reports reveal Alex's ability to learn and recognise dozens of different words, and even his apparent capacity to understand zero and the concept of emptiness. This is an existentialist parrot! Quite. Alex was also able to find the correct answer to simple addition problems such as 3 plus 4 or 4 plus 2 an average of 9 times out of 12 which at 75% would be enough to secure you a pretty respectable B in GCSE Maths. Fair enough, given that those are the sorts of questions you have to answer nowadays in order to get a B in GCSE Maths. Shh, exams keep getting easier and easier. The story of Alex, however, does not end happily. In what has to be the most heartbreaking end to an animal-human relationship ever seen outside of a movie starring Owen Wilson, Alex the Parrot's last words to his trainer were... You be good. I love you. See you tomorrow. Ah. When the scientists came back into the lab the next morning, 
Alex the parrot was dead. You know, that's a pretty impressive set of last words for a bird. <laughs> bah, that's nothing. You should have seen the suicide note. It's not just parrots who have fallen victim to the examination boards, however. As it was revealed this week that toddlers as young as two years old may also benefit from taking a short vocabulary test. New research from Bryn Mawr College in Pennsylvania has revealed that a toddler's speaking ability may be directly correlated to their verbal development later in life. The proposed test involves comparing the words the children use spontaneously with a set of 310 basic words the researchers deem to be age-appropriate. Apparently a score of 200 is considered to be average, and let's bear in mind that 200 out of 310 comes to just under 66%, which is a very respectable 2-1 from a good university. Shh. Easier and easier. At the same time, let's not lose sight of the fact that forcing children of barely two years old to jump through hoops and not in the fun way should cause us all to worry over where this system might be heading. So, Jimmy, how are you feeling today? Is everything all right? Mm? Mm? Wonderful. So, Jimmy, we'd really love to have you here at the Sunnydale Kindergarten and Daycare Centre come October. Your test results are really impressive, Jimmy, but we'd love to see you draw something. Do you want to draw something for us, Jimmy? Here's a crayon and some paper. What do you want to draw, Jimmy? Well, if you insist on employing these arbitrary and quite frankly outdated psychosocial examination techniques, then who am I to disagree? Although if you would like me to draw you something, I must insist on using my own gouache painting set, and I really, really must have my own canvas easel. Wow! How old are you? Three and a half. Yourself? Well, I'm nearly four. Hmm. Aren't you a little old for this? So, Tom, we're about halfway through the show. How's Nigel doing? Oh, he seems to be doing all right. We've handcuffed him to a typewriter to see if he produces anything interesting, but so far all we've got is 17 pages covered with the letters H-E-P-L. It's almost like he's trying to tell us something. I still think we should let him go to sleep. Or at least turn down the bass on the techno music you've got him listening to. Hey, you'll thank me in the long run. Once Nigel's creative juices get flowing, we'll finally have a way to end the show. Though we may need to mop up. I still don't think it's right. You saw how angry Jen got before. All right then, do you have any ideas about how to end the show? No, of course not. I'm just the writer. I can't decide when to stop writing. The scripts are finished when Jen leans over my shoulder and presses Control p on the keyboard. Well then let us do it our way. Oh, Nigel! <laughs> Let's suppose that a man has married 20 women in a small town. All of the women are still alive and none of them are divorced. The man has broken no laws. Who is the man? Still doesn't feel right. Heppel. Heppel. What do you suppose that means? Search me. In other news, the House of Commons Defence Committee published a report this week outlining the threat posed to the UK by space-fired weapons. The report focuses in particular on nuclear electromagnetic pulse weapons, or EMPs, which could significantly affect power grids and the electronic infrastructure if one were to be detonated over the United Kingdom. It's easy enough to understand the government's concern on this front. We do, after all, have some pretty unscrupulous enemies. Are you telling me they might now have the ability to wield electromagnetic pulse technology? Yes, sir, but this is nothing new. Remember, they've been dropping dirty bombs on our civilian population for as long as anyone can remember. Good God. And let's not forget the suicide missions they fly, sir, into the turbines of transatlantic jumbo jets in the hope of bringing them to a halt. Brave little devils. 
but with their ability to synthesize a deadlier version of the H5N1 virus and their grasp of electromagnetic nuclear technology, they pose too great a threat. We really do need to wipe them out, sir, and destroy their capabilities on both counts. Kill two birds with one stone. I was thinking more along the lines of submarine-launched ballistic missile, but we're both broadly on the same page. I don't know. I... I don't know. Is that a justified reaction? Believe me, sir, that's what the Hawks and government are proposing. But then again, the Doves think so, too. But, of course, it's not only man-made... Or bird-made... ...technology that we have to fear. The UK is also apparently vulnerable to incidents of space weather, changes in solar activity which could have equally devastating consequences for the country's infrastructure. Only this week, for instance, NASA released photographs of an enormous tornado travelling across the surface of the sun at 300,000 miles per hour. The photographs were taken earlier this month as part of an ongoing mission to better understand the fundamental workings of the sun. And the nice ladies and gentlemen of the Leveson Inquiry wish them all the best with that one. The truly remarkable weather features that exist in space will at the very least make small talk on Earth that little bit more bearable. Are you tired of your conversations going like this? Hello. Hello. Nice weather we're having. Yes. Do you wish there was some easy way to make polite small talk that much less unbearably tedious? I can't see you, but I'm going to assume that you're nodding. Because who wouldn't? And that's why you need to tune in to... <laughs> Professor Brian Cox's Spaceshipping Forecast. 8 o'clock every day on the International Space Station. 83 to 86 FM. I will be taking you on an amazing journey around your universe. Showing you the remarkable weather patterns and cosmic forces on display on the planets and stars in the night sky. Tune in now to hear about the unusual weather phenomena taking place on a planet near you. And your conversations need never be dull again. Hello. Hello. Nasty weather we're having. Ends alright to me. <laughs> well, this week it was colder in London than it was on Mars. You don't say! While we're on unusual phenomena in space, this week astronomers have discovered an astonishing new planet which defies all attempts at classification. The planet GJ1214b, which orbits a red dwarf star 40 light years from Earth, is made up almost entirely of water, most of it at astonishingly high temperature and pressure. Its high water content and thick, steamy atmosphere make it a unique find which astronomers hope to examine further over the coming years. Fortunately for Brian Cox, however, his years spent in Manchester would have prepared him for an environment which consists largely of water. Well, here on planet GJ1214b, the atmosphere is thick and steamy. But I do have that effect on my fans. Clearly for some people things can only get wetter, I mean better, better. Whereas other scientists are really not having a great week. Some of you may remember that back in September, scientists at the Gran Sasso Laboratory in Italy revealed astonishing data which seemed to suggest that neutrinos can travel faster than the speed of light. Ooh. This week, however, physicists working on the experiment have released a statement claiming that they may have found the error responsible for the unusual data. Aww. The likely explanation concerns a faulty connection between the experiment's master clock and the GPS signal that was being used to measure the neutrino's trajectory. If only they'd have paid more attention to the GPS technology from the start. 
Do not travel at more than three times ten to the eight meters per second. In any case, one can only imagine how embarrassing the call to the customer support helpline must have been. some difficulties with our particle detector. Well, sir, what seems to be the problem? Well, uh, we seem to be getting neutrinos travelling faster than the speed of light. All right, sir, where are you calling from? The Grand Sasso Laboratory in Italy. That's on Earth, sir, yes? Um, yes. Right, tell me, sir, are you lot still pre-ground unified theory? Uh, yes, yes we are. Pre the Brian Cox equation of everything? Um, yes. Right, sir, let me just get the right manual out. So, are you still using the standard model? Uh, no, we think neutrinos have mass, so we're moving beyond that. Right, so the basic expansion pack, then. Still only using the three basic neutrinos, sir. Um, because if you want the upgrade, we should have an engineer over to you by, oh, I don't know, 2150? No, thanks, we're all right. We just want to make sure that our detector isn't faulty. Right, right. Have you turned it off and turned it back on again, sir? Yes, yes, we have. Really? Yes. You're not just saying that, sir. No. You'd be surprised at how many people just say that, sir. Look, we're physicists. Of course, we've turned it off and on again. What do you take us for? Right, sir. Whatever you say. Have you checked all the cables? Of course we've checked all the cables. Even the ones running from the master clock to the GPS satellite feed? Yes, even the ones from the... I think you'll find that should do it, sir. Right. Wow. That's amazing. How long have you been doing this? Oh, most of my life, sir. Ever since I graduated magna cum laude from Sunnydale Kindergarten and Daycare Centre. Now, if you'll excuse me, I should be going. Rest the mouse is on. If you think this is a hugely contrived, unconvincing and arguably unnecessary way to get from one place to another, wait till we tell you about the Japanese construction company that's planning to build a lift into space by the year 2050. Tokyo's Obayashi Corporation hopes to use the 36,000 kilometre structure as a way to transport tourists up and down from a space station held in orbit at the elevator's top floor. The journey is likely to take seven and a half days, which gives an entirely new meaning to the words elevator pitch. And as you can see here on slide 2350, uh, or have I shown this one to you before? If you ever did get a chance to take this cosmic lift, you'd want to make sure you were inside with the right people. Hello. Hello. It's Mark, isn't it? Um, John. Oh. While I think we can all understand the appeal of taking the elevator up, You've got to ask yourself, who are they hoping will make the journey down? Jesus Christ! Hello, my son. But, but, we've been waiting for you for more than 2,000 years. I know, I know. They only just got this thing built. I could have taken the stairs, but at my age I didn't really fancy it. Now if you'll excuse me, I must dash. I've booked a table for twelve at Heston Blumenthal's Fat Duck restaurant. This time Judas isn't invited. They've prepared a special veggie burger I'm simply dying to try. It's made out of stem cells, you know. 
I am so glad that you all agreed to finance that research in the end. Go in peace, my son. We may laugh, but similarly miraculous resurrections could soon be a reality. As this week, Russian scientists were able to grow a new plant from a seed that had been trapped in permafrost for over 32,000 years. It is believed that the seeds of Silene stenophylla were buried in the Paleolithic era by a ground squirrel looking for a safe place to store them, although it's unclear how many of the Ice Age movies the researchers watched before they came to this conclusion. As the prospect of reviving extinct animal species is still a long way off, it's unlikely that these revelations concerning ancient plants will fire up the public imagination in quite the same way. And let's be honest, they'd certainly make for some less exciting screenplays. Welcome to Jurassic Park. You fools, what have you done? Don't worry, we've taken every precaution. The fences are electrified, the gates are ten metres high, and we've got armed guards posted at every watchtower. Nothing untoward will happen. Uh, life, uh, life finds a way. Open the gates. Prepare yourselves. My beauty, here she is. A 50 million year old Jurassic fern. Clever girl. This is all you've got in here. Plants. What did you expect? It's called Jurassic Park, not Jurassic Zoo. How is he? Who? Nigel. He's fine, aren't you, Nigel? Where... where am I? See, he's fine. You've stapled his shoes to that cross trainer! It's only going seven miles an hour. We needed to keep him awake. I think he's about ready now, anyway. You don't think we need to get him a little more drunk? Nigel? Breathe out, please. (laughs) I just want to go home. (laughs) No, that's as drunk as he's going to get. Right, Nigel. Can you hear me? (laughs) Right, Nigel. I want you to tell us how we can find a way to end the show. I can't go on. I can't. Yes, Nigel, you can. Science says so. You've drunk a litre and a half of lemongrass vodka and you've been up for nearly 46 hours. 46 hours? Oh. Sorry, 48 hours. My watch lost its connection to the GPS satellite there for a minute. Uh, So this means your brain must be approaching its full potential. So tell us, Nigel, how can we make the segue into the ending? Just end it. End it all. Will you stop bullying him? He's been through enough as it is. Fine. You're the producer. You're the one whose name's attached to the show. If you care about Nigel so badly, you think of a way to end the show. Nigel... I know you must be very tired and want to go to sleep. Make it go away. (laughs) Now, come on, Nigel. You wouldn't want these past 46 hours... 48 hours. You wouldn't want these past 48 hours to be wasted, now would you? (laughs) Make it stop. Just make it stop. This week's episode of Interacting Weekly featured Tom Winty, Andrew Winterville, Jen Winty, Gilla Dammit, and whatever was left of Nigel Fullerton. The show was written by Gilla Dammit with contributions from Matt Allinson, Tom Hoffman, and the cast, and produced by Jen Winty. Feel free to follow us on Twitter at Interact Weekly, where you can interact with us weekly. That's a great gag for radio again. I keep up the good work. Or find us on our WordPress or SoundCloud accounts. New episodes of us Interacting Weekly can be downloaded from our website, and as of this week, even on the iTunes store. So until then, take care of yourselves and stay sleek and drumpy. I mean, drunk and sleepy. Thank you.